Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and I am happy to be a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. There won't be an Amarillo Farm and Ranch show this year, but producers will still have a way to access some of the show's educational programs. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. A Texas congressman is asking USDA to open more Farm Service Agency offices. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have that story coming up. New sorghum technology for grass pressured acres. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Due to COVID, the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show has been canceled this year, but producer education events that were scheduled to be a part of the show will still be offered virtually. James Hunt reports. One program to be provided online instead of face-to-face is the Texas A&M Panhandle Farm Management Symposium on December 1st with topics like soil health, plant disease, and herbicide regulations. Another is the December 3rd Cotton U event presented by High Plains Journal and Idea Ag Group. It's good that these events could be preserved in some form, but as we head into the calendar period many refer to as meeting season, Texas A&M AgriLife's regional program leader Danny Nusser says AgriLife is planning to conduct various producer events around the panhandle in the traditional in-person format. We're going forward with the hopes that we can provide education that way with the backup plan that if we can't, we're still going to get the information out there. Doing events online offers some advantages, but Nusser says producers want the chance to attend meetings in person. They enjoy going to those county meetings. They enjoy that face-to-face aspect. They're not as interested in learning virtually. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cotton harvest has reached the one-third mark here in Texas. USDA releasing its latest crop progress and condition report Monday afternoon. It shows 35% of the Texas crop is now out of the field. 89% of the crop has opened bowls. As far as condition ratings on the cotton crop, well, they've been rough all year long. Right now, 7% of the crop rated excellent, 19% rated good, 28% fair, and a whopping 46% of our cotton crop rated poor to very poor. A Texas congressman is asking USDA to open more farm service agency offices. Jessica Domel has the story. U.S. Congressman Jody Arrington of Texas recently sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Agriculture urging Secretary Sonny Perdue to re-examine and update their COVID protocols and safely reopen Farm Service Agency offices. 
Arrington says those offices are critical to hardworking agricultural producers, providing access to vital programs like the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program and the Wildfire Hurricane Indemnity Program. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Harvest is well underway in West Texas. Eddie Griffiths has more from the Lubbock area. As we enter into the month of October, harvest is underway. Cotton is starting to roll into the gin yards. Combines are running and definitely a lack of moisture, which is good and bad at this time. Probably more good than bad. The wheat crop that is planted is either established or waiting on a good slow rain to emerge. But as far as harvest is concerned, especially cotton, the open weather is good news to get this crop out. Defoliation is still being put out, trying to stay ahead of harvest equipment. The harvest on cotton that is going on at this time seems to be going pretty smoothly with the good weather we're having in the area. We can alleviate moisture for those cotton strippers and also high winds that will help expedite getting this cotton crop out. It's not going to take very long as it is because a lot of the dry land crop never made it to harvest in West Texas and generally you can count on that as being about half of the crop here in West Texas, that being dry land. But if we can get this irrigated crop out, that will be beneficial to producers. A lot of money spent on that crop this year, especially with irrigation and controlling weed pressures in those fields. From West Texas, I'm Eddie Griffiths. There's new grain sorghum technology available to Texas farmers. Tom Nicoletti takes a closer look. Today, my guest is Slade Price. He is a field agronomist with Pioneer for South Texas. He joins us from west of Corpus Christi. Slade, today we're going to talk about some of the Pioneer technology that will benefit farmers as they look towards the new crop season in 2021. Let's start with the Protector Series launched last year for grain sorghum hybrids. Pioneer remains to be a leader in sugarcane aphid research. The Pioneer Protector Series sorghum which is our designation for our hybrids if they are strong sugarcane aphid tolerant. Over 40% of Pioneer sorghum lineup has this designation. Yes, and certainly uh, sugarcane aphids uh, have become a problem uh, not only in your region of South Texas and the Coastal Bend, but across the state. And so this is certainly uh, going to be advantageous for farmers. That's correct. It's been a major pest in sorghum for the last probably five, six years now. And so initially, it's not been out there very long. How has this protector series worked for producers? It's working well. Anything that is a five or better in our uh, sugarcane aphid tolerant ratings uh, gets this designation of protector and uh, seems to be holding up and holding true to what we expect it to do after all of our research has been done over the last several years. Let's move on to an herbicide trait for sorghum, uh, and that's called Inzen, which uh, will be released in the future uh, by Pioneer. What is Inzen? Yeah, so we're in the infant stages of launching our Inzen grain sorghum, which is our groundbreaking non-GMO ALS herbicide tolerant sorghum, and that's built on Pioneer's elite genetic and agronomic traits. This trait coupled with Corteva's Zest WDG herbicide provides an innovative and effective solution to yield robbing grass pressure in sorghum. It maximizes flexibility, productivity, and profitability on every sorghum acre. And this is applied uh, after the crop has been planted? 
Yes, that is correct. After uh, post-emergence, it's applied. One of the main uh, key topics for this technology is that it's non-GMO, so it can still go to the organic market as well. We've done rigorous testing over the past several years, and we have a robust pipeline of products just waiting to be advanced. Slade, what about the crop situation uh, in South Texas? Most harvests are completed in the fall, but uh, farmers are looking forward to the new growing season in the new year. So uh, 2020 crop year was kind of tough. It was dry in the spring, and uh, when our crops are determining yields, um, and we got a lot of rainfall in May and early June um, that really kind of threw us for a loop, especially some of our earlier season sorghum hybrids. But it's South Texas. We never know what type of weather we're going to have, what type of year we're going to have. And so that's why Pioneer's message to our growers has been plant a mix, plant a mix of different hybrids, different maturities, because we don't know what type of year it will be. That is Pioneer Field agronomist Slade Price joining us today from the Coastal Bend region of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Louisiana farmers were hit by yet another hurricane last week and are now assessing damage to their crops. Lafayette Parish sugarcane farmer Eddie Lewis says the storm surge from Hurricane Delta has done some damage to his crop, but he was as ready for the storm as he could be. You know, when you stay ready, you know how to get ready, and that's just kind of what we do with sugarcane farming. And uh, we're just going to keep it pumping. We kind of knew the storm was coming. We got the combines ready, extra combines, extra trucks, and we're just going to try to get this crop out as fast as we can, you know, with the delays, the mill closed last Wednesday. So uh, we're going to have to increase the quotas, increase production, and uh, work a little bit harder. That That's the that's the hard part with this storm is now we're behind a couple days now, and with lower, that also pushes back. So uh, the mill is going to be cranking up. The quota is going to go up and you just have to work longer hours and work harder and smarter to save the crop. And uh, next week, watch dry. We're going to try to get all that pilata cane out that we uh, that we had sweetened, get that out before hopefully a freeze comes. So uh, hopefully the next two weeks with dry weather, we can make a little run for it, save, save the crop. Delta's winds laid the sugar cane over, but it can be picked up and harvested with modern sugar cane combines. However, the Mid-South cotton crop may have seen substantial damage. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says bowls were open on most of that crop, but farmers worked fast to get that cotton picked. On October 11th, 90% of the U.S. cotton bowls were open. 83% is the five-year average last year at 86%. And of course, the vast majority of cotton bowls were open in the areas affected by the high winds and heavy rain associated with the hurricane On October 11th, we saw just over one quarter, 26% of the U.S. cotton crop harvested, one point behind the five-year average, a little further behind last year's 30%. But it is worth noting that in advance of the hurricane, there was some pretty rapid harvest progress for cotton in the Delta states, namely Louisiana, a big advance from 39 to 61% harvested as producers try to get that crop out of harm's way in advance of the rain and the wind from the hurricane, Arkansas seeing a nice advance from 13 to 30 percent harvested as producers were well aware of that storm bearing down several days in advance. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. Wildlife valuation can incentivize rural landowners and can help them afford to keep their property. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. And as dogs get older, they have a hard time getting up and moving around. 
kind of like me. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that problem coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, I'm sure you know the feeling of getting older and it being harder to get around. Well, that feeling is mutual when it comes to your older dog. They have trouble too. Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that problem in older dogs. Arthritis and intervertebral disc disease are both usually painful and can be diagnosed with x-rays or an MRI. There is a treatment for both of these diseases, but with degeneration, there is no treatment available. A specific condition can develop in some dogs called degenerative myelopathy, and this is similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease in people. Degenerative myelopathy in dogs is an hereditary genetic disease that can be recessive or dominant, and can affect multiple breeds of older, large, and small breed dogs. Symptoms are difficulty rising, swaying when walking, and dragging the back legs when walking. Since multiple diseases can cause these symptoms, the diagnosis is made by ruling out other causes. There is no pain with degenerative myelopathy unless the dog also has arthritis or disc disease at the same time. DNA testing is available at the Orthopedic Foundation of America to determine if the dog has the gene associated with the development of the disease. And most affected dogs have two copies of the infected gene. As I mentioned earlier, there is no treatment for degenerative myelopathy. Physical therapy, such as walking or swimming, is helpful as it maintains muscle mass. One study found dogs treated with intense physical therapy, including slow walking with sling support if necessary, repetitive sitting and standing, and weight shifting exercise, at least five times per day live twice as long as dogs with only moderate physical therapy, and five times longer than dogs with no physical therapy. Physical therapy is helpful regardless of the cause of disease, as it will be helpful with arthritis and disc disease as well. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Wildlife valuation can incentivize Texas landowners and help them afford to keep their property. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. If you are considering a switch to wildlife valuation for your land, you may want to work with a biologist. Greg Simons, principal and GM of Wildlife Systems and Wildlife Consultants and president of the Texas Wildlife Association Foundation, explains. It's certainly good for a landowner who is considering enrolling under wildlife valuation to seek technical assistance uh, that may be from a certified state biologist or, or private biologist or just a qualified technician, if you will, someone that's familiar with the wildlife management field. The wildlife valuation 
legislation can incentivize rural landowners to consider wildlife management practices. It can also help landowners afford to keep their property. But it's going to come at another price, and it could be a financial price of having to pay to, to integrate some of those practices, or it might come at a sweat equity price of just having to put a lot of elbow grease into the work that's required to meet those practices. So I feel like it's a viable option for a landowner that is not familiar with traditional ag practices that own a property that they just don't have interest or feel comfortable raising cattle or goats and sheep or perhaps farming it or being in in a silviculture kind of business if they're in East Texas. This is a great option for them to look at. And for those landowners, it's probably going to be a bit more congruent on why they own it. Because if they own some open space out in rural Texas and they're not into traditional ag practices, they probably own it for wildlife or recreation or aesthetic purposes. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle market while the cotton market continues to march towards 70 cents. We'll have a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets all coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to oli.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle market. We ended up closing mixed, but mostly on the lower side of the market. Live and feeder cattle futures mostly in the red with October live cattle down 45, 108.37, December down 95, 110.27. February live cattle down 42 cents, 113.22. October feeder cattle were higher, up 25 cents, 138.37. But the November was down 50 cents, 136.32. January feeders down 90, 133.32. Cash fed cattle trade still at a standstill out in the country. The Packers are bidding 108 in Texas and Kansas. However, the feedlot's holding tight. They have cattle priced 110 and higher. No sales so far to report. The Wednesday online fed cattle exchange did sell 671 head. 548 of those were Texas cattle, three lots. They sold those at 108 to 108 and a quarter. Boxed beef prices mixed. Choice down 68 cents to 11.76. Select up 13 at $200.21. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Brazos Valley Livestock Commission in Bryan, Texas, selling 1,130 head this week. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought $1.75 to $1.85 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.60 to $1.80. Four to five weights, $1.48 to $1.69. 
five to six hundred pounders, a dollar thirty to a dollar forty one. Six to seven weight steers, a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty one. With the heavy seven to eight weight steers bringing a dollar sixteen to a dollar twenty three a pound. Slaughter cows, thirty five to fifty seven cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty five to seventy seven. Stocker cows, seven fifty to eleven fifty a head. Cow calf pairs, nine hundred to eleven fifty a pair. Gulf Coast Livestock Auction, Alice, Texas, selling 625 head. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.30 to $1.55. Three to four weights, $1.25 to $1.65. Four to five weight steers, $1.20 to $1.50 a pound. Five to 600 pounders, $1.05 to $1.40. Six to seven weights, $1.01 to $1.25. With the seven to eight weight steers, ninety-four cents to a dollar ten a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty-five to sixty cents. Slaughter bulls, seventy-two to seventy-eight. Stocker cows, seven hundred to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs, eight hundred to twelve hundred a pair. Now back over to the futures market, where lean hogs closed higher. October lean hogs up sixty-two cents, seventy-eight forty-two. The December up two twenty-seven. Closing at 68.42. Class 3 milk was mixed. October milk up 13 cents, 21.30 a hundred. November down 17 at 20.47 a hundred weight. The cotton market continues to inch oh so closer to 70 cents. We did see the market trade above 70 cents. However, the close has always been below that level. We ended up closing higher with support coming from a 6-10 to day weather forecast calling for above normal precipitation stretching from central Texas across the U.S. Delta and into the southeast. USDA says bowls are open on most of that crop, so it definitely is at risk if it gets rain. We close with December cotton up 10 points, 68.93. March cotton up 8, 69.72. Dry weather around the world in wheat growing areas continues to support the wheat market. December Kansas City wheat up 4 cents, 5.35 and a quarter. New crop July wheat up 4 and a quarter, 5.56 and three quarters. Corn closed higher, December corn up 5 and a quarter, 3.96 and a half. In the energy markets, November natural gas down 22 cents. 262 November crude oil up 87 4107 a barrel and the financials lower with the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 83 points 28596 the Nasdaq down 59 at 11803 the S&P 500 down 13 3497 well that's a look at the markets and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag today I really appreciate you joining us. Be sure to tell your friends and be sure to tune in next time. We'll be right here to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Terry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.